0: Hi, I'm Elise.
1: I'm Matt, and welcome to Pod Wraiths, a Star Trek Deep Space Nine podcast. If this is your first time joining us, we're two friends watching Star Trek Deep Space Nine and sharing both our deep and irreverent thoughts on our favorite Star Trek series.
0: This week, we're talking about Season 2, Episode 20, The McKee, Part 1, teleplayed by James Crocker and directed by David Livingston. This episode aired on April 24th, 1994.
1: This week on Deep Space Nine, when a Cardassian freighter explodes at the station, the Cardassians blame Federation colonists in the new demilitarized zone.
0: This week, we're joined again by our friend Tessa. Welcome, Tessa. Hi! I'm so excited to be here. We're excited to have you. I think you're our, like, most visited guest at this point. Well, yeah, I think that's partially because I picked a
2: two-parter for this right. one as well. So it's like I I manifested myself into being yes. your, like, most visited guest. So I was like, two-parter, here we go. Yeah, Tessa will be with us next week as well. For the thrilling
1: conclusion there we go and now the con- migelle barrett voice and now the conclusion oh my god If <laughs> <Even laughs> i don't get
0: her saying that i'll be real disappointed now
2: we have been watching uh batman 66 which is we're like i that second season has like 60 plus episodes i have no idea how they did that many episodes for one I've season never of television it. i highly recommend it i know this is not a batman show <laughs> it is Bananas. It is so good, but so bananas. It is like the most campy it's thing ever. Campy. And whenever, AF, yeah. whenever I hear somebody being like Batman is gritty and dark, I'm always like, you did you ever watch like the Batman sixty six <laughs> show? Yeah, the Doesn't the have, bat like, dance
1: off and like yeah, one of the, like, it's yeah.
2: in the first episode. He's in a club and he yeah. does the bat dance. Yeah, with the little yeah. I so what I need to see the bat
0: dance. You do. You absolutely do. In.
2: And Catwoman is also fantastic in it. I'm just going to throw that out there. Anyway, I
0: mean, that doesn't surprise me. the
2: The end of every episode, the, there's an announcer, right? And he has his like announcer voice, and he's like constantly like setting the scene. And he's like, meanwhile, it's stately Wayne Manor. But at the end of every episode, he's like, there's there's usually like a so the the episodes are two parts, and the end of the first part is always like Batman and Robin are in some like death defying situation and they might die and like the announcer breaks in and he's like teasing the next episode and he's right. always like S- join us next time same bat time same bat channel <laughs> I feel like <laughs> I've heard what I that like. Before, and I
0: didn't know that it was like a real thing like I've oh, heard yeah. people joke about that and I didn't know that really came from the show
2: Oh yeah 100% and they lean all the way into the camp like it's it's marvelous it's fantastic and it was pretty. on at the same time as the original series. And so you get some and like fun true. crossover
1: yeah. too. Yeah. Yeah. You really do. And like like Julian Umar, who's one of the cat women, is in an episode of TNG. Yvonne Craig, who ends up playing Batgirl, was in was in a Orion in the one, uh, was it Whom Gods Destroy? The like prison, one of the prison episodes on the original mm. series. So yeah, there's yeah. lots of cross-pollination and i'm pretty sure that the reason that um william shatner wasn't available to shoot the first pilot for star trek where jeffrey hunter played christopher pike was because he was on i can't remember what the name of it was but there's like a short-lived show and i don't know how many episodes aired but we're working on it but it was like some kind of roman epic show that starred William Shatner and Adam West, actually, in the early that 60s. That would make
0: sense. Yeah, yeah that makes, would make yeah. sense. I feel so. like we have to watch that. Like, we have to try to find it. To watch the show. Yeah, Frank Whatever Gorshin, was, yeah. who also
2: plays the Riddler on Batman 66, who is a fantastic Riddler, like, ah,
1: yes. to I this day, told
2: me. has to, like... I'm waiting for this new Batman movie to actually dethrone Frank Gorshin because he is amazing. But he is in the famous episode, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield, as well. Mm -hmm. And he does really great Mm -hmm. work in that. But yeah, Yeah. we were watching for the original series. Sam and I were watching the original series, my partner. We do a little podcast called Sam Watches Star Trek. And for the first part of it, we did season three episodes. And it was, I don't remember the name of the episode, but it's the one that Yvonne Craig is in. And she plays an Orion uh yeah. slave girl. And uh we were watching it and Sam, who has been obsessed with Batman 66 since she was a child, like loves Yvonne Craig. I didn't tell her that Yvonne Craig was going to be in this, and she <laughs> was like, I would know that voice anywhere. <laughs> and it was like I love that. It was like the best viewing experience. So lots of crossover between Batman 66 and Star Trek.
1: She's like oh one of the God. best things about that episode. When you yeah. just said like, I would know that—not a great voice. episode, but she's good. Yeah. <laughs>
0: when you just said I would know that voice anywhere, I just thought of Jane Eyre. I would know those hands anywhere. I would know <laughs> those are Jane. These Eyre are Jane's Eyre.
2: fingers. Yeah.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, Tessa and I recently watched the Ruth Wilson and um, Toby Stevens um, mini series of Jane Eyre. That's on HBO Max right now. It's from 2006, but there was quite like, excellent this line, and and it just like
1: pierced my heart a lot.
0: <laughs> so
2: so much Trek. <laughs>
1: oh, okay well we'll bring it back i was gonna i was gonna have a toby Stevens conversation but we'll, oh, we'll get back. i to still the haven't seen part.
0: black sales um, that's his show right? well that's what i
1: was gonna bring up because like low-key that might have been part of like my like um what's the word i'm looking for not queer awakening but late in life queer affirmations but enough on that either we love
2: gay
1: pirates Um, Uh, but yeah here we are we're season two episode 20 we're almost done the season and we have met the maquis
0: yes tessa do you want to tell us a little bit about why you chose this episode
2: i frankly Chose this episode because of the Maquis, and I'm sure that we'll talk about them a lot in this episode. I'm a huge Voyager fan, and so obviously the Maquis are very important to Voyager, but also I've just always found the Maquis storyline to be really interesting and one of the more ambiguous things that Star Trek has ever done in terms of. Mm-hmm. Talking about politics, um, this is something that DS9, I think, really excels at. This idea of let's look at a problem that's actually really complex and that doesn't have a cut and dried answer to it. Like most of the TOS episodes and most of the Next Generation episodes generally have like a pretty like cut and dry approach to utopia this is a little bit more complicated it involves politics colonialism who belongs here who doesn't belong here does anyone belong here so you know all of that stuff i just find really interesting and of course a lot of my real my favorite characters from voyager come out of this particular group so yeah this is this is kind of why i wanted to do this it just happened to be a two-parter that they were introduced in but (laughs) you know i'm always down for the
1: ride it was it was hard not to keep watching. It was hard. Yeah, not to keep I felt watching. that yeah.
0: also. And I purposely didn't watch because I don't like Tessa and I were talking about this week, this week or last week. Like I don't like to watch further than what we're covering cuz then I my yeah. the lines blur of like what happened when and I don't want to have yeah further knowledge when I discuss it. Even though we've all seen it before, it's just like I don't I haven't seen it I've only seen these episodes once, so I don't remember like every little yeah. thing.
2: That's how but I yeah. am with Tessa watches Lost, but I haven't seen Lost before. So that's why right. when I talk about it in one episode, the next episode I'm like, I was completely wrong. Disregard <laughs> everything I I said I in last episode. I love listening to your
0: Lost um <laughs> thoughts.
2: But yeah, I don't listen ahead. I don't watch ahead when I do that too, just because I want it right. to be like in the moment when I'm recording. For sure.
1: Yeah, and Michael Piller has this really interesting quote in the Deep Space Nine logbook, Second Season Companion, and he talks about the the Maquis and how, again, they were doing... This episode does some setup for Voyager, which is going to premiere later this fall. Um, But he has this comment about, and this is the direct quote, DS9 is the true inheritor of the Maquis. Since there's no long-term benefit to Voyager, again, not to spoil... Voyager and you know the Maquis being important and, and things like that as a way to create conflict on that show, but like in light of Tessa, what you were just saying about Deep Space Nine and how it digs digs into some of the complexity of the the politics kind of in the in the Federation, um, they definitely come back and become a thing, and it's something that really Deep Space Nine can can dig into. So I guess my initial question for the both of you before we we dig into it are the Maquis like the rebellion in the original Star Wars trilogy? A bourgeoisie revolution? Are they like the the American Revolution? Is it actually a revolution of the working class, or are they do they own the means of production? <laughs> Sorry, I had to let my socialism come out. We can delete it. Fine. You're giving me blank <laughs> no. stares. I apologize. No, I'm
2: just thinking. I just um, don't know what they are rebelling against. I guess because I think that part of my problem. With the demilitarized zone is that it's supposed to be, as far as I can tell, it's supposed to be, like, no man's land. Like, it's supposed to be, like, nobody really, like, controls what's happening there. But yeah. they're giving it back to the Cardassians. Like, that. that's the, the setup for this episode, right? Is that this was an area that was, like, neutral, the Cardassians and the Federation colonists all moved in and they coexist in some way. And yeah. then, in yeah. this treaty that's coming up, they're giving it back to the Cardassians. So, I guess in that yeah, case, so- I guess I answered my own question. They would be rebelling against the Cardassians. Is that what you're saying?
1: Well, no, I mean, again, it's a class distinction in Star Trek when it's like you know, it's more of a a joke because like it doesn't necessarily exist in the in the same way. But like as I understand it, and again, like this episode kind of picks up on threads that were in the final season of Next Generation, which had aired about a month earlier. Um, The episode Journey's End, which is actually Wesley Crusher's last episode but as i want well, i probably should have rewatched before this episode but i didn't cuz there's too many things to watch
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> um,
1: but as i understand it so off-screen during like the first several seasons of tng there was a border war between star between the federation and the Cardassians. now it's ended there's this treaty and there has been this trading of star systems along the border which had both Federation and Cardassian colonies. As so I it, understand it, as they were at the high level, like negotiating some of the stuff that had Federation colonies is theoretically under Cardassian control. Or now, would go and to some of the, Cardassia or yeah. vice gotcha. versa. Cause some yeah. of the people didn't want to stay. So they've created this like demilitarized zone where it's like Starfleet kind of owns this. The Cardassians kind of own that. right? But like, it's like this unique kind of like special sort of area that like where things just get really muddied. But like they traded colonies, and some Federation citizens stayed on what now belong to Cardassia, and vice versa. Right. So like, I there's
0: Cardassians it. that are living in, that are going to be or living in Federation space, and then there's some yeah. Federation citizens that are living in Cardassia space now. So and, to me, oh sorry, go ahead, no, you're fine- I was just saying that, and basically i it's un- it it's unclear to me if it's a situation where it's like I lived here for a long time and I don't wanna move, or I'm okay with living in this situation, like it's very like, it's both you'd have to it's there's it's- probably a little of both.
2: Yeah. Right. Yeah. So this is this one of the reasons I find this really interesting is that it's really reminiscent to me of the ways in which in the real world on earth <laughs> uh you know that we have these colonial powers that just like left places that they colonized and basically were like okay everybody sort it out for yourselves which we know historically doesn't work very well especially because there was especially with the British, who's, uh, who I'm thinking of very specifically in my two examples. The British tended to do this thing when they colonized a place where they would stoke tensions between groups in order to control them. So I'm thinking very specifically of uh, Hindu and Muslim tensions in India. Mm-hmm. And then yeah, when they left India, they were like, well, how are we going to prevent these people from killing each other? Oh, well, we'll just say, here's a new country. If you're Muslim, be across this border in 60 days if you're hindu be across this border in 60 days yeah, yeah. peace you know and that's yeah. that's it's, it's for... very
1: much the partition of india you're 100% yeah and that's yeah. The, what
2: this really re- yeah. it also reminded me of the whole ireland northern ireland thing which was also done by the british in order to uh, you know create in order to solve a problem of like protestant versus catholic but then also there was a lot of british citizens who were living in ireland who didn't want to leave ireland you know and it it becomes like this whole mess and yeah it becomes this question of like these people's lives have become intertwined and instead of figuring out a way in which they can coexist together it seems like nobody's willing to do that. They're just like, okay, everyone has to be out or everyone has to be over this line. Especially the the Federation whose response to it seems to be like, Well, why don't you just leave? Why don't you just come back? Right? Um, there was a yeah there was a
0: comment at one point where um I just I do want to get into a couple of I feel like we're getting into it and I there's a couple Sorry. of like, <laughs> early things. No 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 wait That's wait not- we're
1: we're getting into it? Really? The three of us are getting into it. But,
0: like, there is a comment that um, Hudson makes at one point as if, like, and I, retrospectively, I don't know if I trust everything he's said previous, because as we find out in the end, he's part of the monkey. But, um... uh. He says this thing about, like, how the Federation would be respectful towards the Cardassians, but he doesn't feel that they would be respectful towards the Federation citizens. So it's very, like, I trust how we'll treat these people, but I don't trust how they'll treat us. And it just feels very, like, how do you... I don't know. It feels very messy.
2: Right. And, well, and, and Kira... And Kira who I love in this episode. Like, I I think that Kira has some really fantastic points, which I'm sure we'll talk about. But she immediately is just like, no. Like, they can't be trusted. Like, they're fascist, Like, they occupy places and they treat the people there terribly. Like, they're going to have... And, and when Cisco is basically like, well, you don't know that's what's going to happen. And she's like, no, I do. Like, I lived with them for, you know... This amount of time, so I understand like where these colonists are coming from. My question, and I'd be interested to know if there is an answer to this question or if it's just not something that's addressed, is both the Cardassians and the Federation people in this space are colonists. So I'm curious mm-hmm. if, like, are any of these places homeworlds for any of these people? Like, like who are the real like indigenous people here or are these just un- uninhabited yeah. planets that you know this yeah. is this yeah, is the that's stuff i question. love about this and i
0: do wonder i i don't know that there's an answer that i have for that but i am kinda curious
1: now so hmm, this is where it gets kind of like thorny and where like i think to date, especially to this point in the, the, the nineties. And I know when we have kind of like our, our modern Trek, it definitely has like a different lens. And I even think that like the first season of, of Picard, and as we're recording this, the second season's about to um, premiere this week, starts to kind of not necessarily super examine this, but like is aware of this more than like other Star Trek has kind of like the, the colonial nature of the Federation and it's something that we've, we've talked about on this podcast before, but all of that being said, I think the hand wavy exception. And I think at least you might remember, we talked about this a little bit with Doug a couple weeks ago when we talked Mm -hmm. about paradise, um, where they're like, they're uninhabited worlds that either get terraformed or, you know, things like that. So I don't know if it's like, at least from the Federation's perspective, the same sort of thing as like, Bajor creating a or sorry not Bajor as Cardassia creating a settler colonial state on Bajor right as opposed to like the colonies that the federation now has that have Cardassian citizens I don't know um we know it's something that Cardassians were were doing more um based on the experience of the Bajoran occupation but unfortunately it's not really something that the show ever really explores i think it's more interested in the maquis perspective of protecting their rights of self-determination the ability to like you know yes i'm a third generation settler on this planet so i'm like more from this planet than i am from earth or whatever um as a and their their resentment the federation abandoning them abandoning them than it Mm -hmm. is like interrogating colonialism
2: yeah Um, yeah and I I completely understand that it's just interesting to me because depending on whether like these are Cardassian home like home worlds or not like you could interpret the Baki completely differently um and the other reason I bring this up is because and this is not a Voyager podcast I know but because Chakotay is an earth supposedly an earth indigenous Race. We can talk about why he's played by a Mexican actor some other time, but like the whole point is, is that he's supposed to be like a Native American, but he's so deeply tied to the Maquis that it feels like they're trying very. It it feels like they're trying to tie the Maquis to indigenous discourses and indigenous yeah, cultures. Hundred in percent. I would, a, in yeah, a really I would agree with that in a really interesting way that I'm not sure works if there's a, a an indigenous population on any of these planets separate from yeah. the mucky yeah.
1: right well, yeah and it might be worth before we record part 2 just to think about it, to like rewatch journey's end like the tng episode that kind of does some of the background for the oops i just unplugged my headphones that does some of the background for the treaty and stuff because the whole like moral dilemma that the enterprise d faces is it's a colony of North American indigenous folks who left Earth to settle this planet to get away from white white colonial bullshit, basically. And then Picard comes in as a white person who has ancestors that um, did colonialism. And they're like, oh, you're here to do the government's bidding again. Like, So like it is doing that more directly. And again, this episode, I think, is laying some of the, the groundwork um for voyager as as well um but then they do some weird again in the really star trek way kind of hokey mumbo jumbo and the travelers involved and everything else so yeah i think you're tldr you're right on tessa yes, I I <laughs>
2: but this That's is apparently. why i chose these episodes it's because like you like the makita me are a group of people who like are so morally complicated because of these questions and i think it's very good conversations to have and the best sci-fi asks us to think about things like you said the partition between india and pakistan in these contexts that i just think is fascinating
0: and i do think like i i agree and there are so many times where over the course of all the shows, where I very much sympathize with the mucky, and then there's some other times where I very much am like, What are you doing? And I just, I love that a group can be complicated and not just one thing, and it's really interesting.
1: Well, and even like the insight it gives us into the perspectives of like our supporting cast, too. Like we mentioned Kira before as having lived under Cardassian occupation, and like the spot it kind of puts puts ben in and like both personally and professionally like as his you know we go through in the relationship with with cal and everything else um yeah where do we want to i just think i think it's interesting too so this this two-parter also reminded me of functionally the season six two-parter of the next generation um chain of command parts one and two which reintroduced the Cardassians um as laying the groundwork for ds9 which premiered uh, a couple months later and things like that and kind of setting the political stakes a little bit for the new show to come out and this is definitely doing that for for voyager a little bit did we want to kind of get into more of the blow by blow i have some format? other
0: initial thoughts okay. that i would like to throw okay, out cool, that are perfect. very yes please Part of our uh, more irreverent um, <laughs> aspect. This was a fun
2: episode, uh, so we should
0: definitely talk about the fun aspects, yeah. too. So, so I remembered this episode vaguely in the, does at least remember this episode or not? Uh, but the <laughs> thing I remembered the most is at the beginning when Jedzia was telling Kira that she was going on a date with someone that had a transparent skull, and Kira's immediate disgust. And, like, the funny thing about that to me was I've been watching a lot of Love is Blind lately, and I just feel like Dadzia would be really a good person to be on Love is Blind because she would take it seriously. And I can imagine her finding love without having seen the person before. <laughs> but Kira I also... comes across as
2: really judgmental in that first part. She really part. does. Like, like I, I like Kira, but sometimes when it comes to, like, sexuality stuff, she can be kind of... Kind of a brute, to be honest. Yeah. Wait, wait, wait wait, wait,
1: wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that like extremely religious people have sexual hangups?
2: I know. <laughs> Shocker.
1: Shocker.
0: <laughs>
2: but I loved it. It was just so weird because I like there was that moment at the beginning and I'm just like, Kara, just chill out. And then like the rest of the episode, I was like cheering her on. So yeah. it was just kind of a weird, like, twist but I was I on like Dax's that, side I like yeah. that Dax states around and like doesn't
0: yeah
2: yeah like she's up for and it I
0: like that she kind of calls her out on it a little bit and not in like um like she's not mean about it but she's like Kira I feel like you need to open your eyes a little bit more
2: yeah I think that's what she says. she's like you're you you judge a lot of people by superficial Yeah, Um, standards. I I also like that her justification is like his brain is like twice the size of yours and mine, and I couldn't figure out. Yeah, like she's
1: so
0: impressed that he has a. I know, I've
1: seen it.
2: I know. I
0: I I, I just that was a really funny line, though.
2: (laughs) I just think it's funny that she's she's like, I like either one. She's really impressed by smart people, which I mean, fair. Like, definitely, smart people are attractive. But two, like, the way she said it really sounded like, you know, one of those, like, I've seen his hands, like, you
0: know, <laughs> life, like, kind of, like, Like, remarks. you know what they say about men with big brains. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, <laughs> one, one other thing I wanted to point out, it's really funny to me, the idea that Kira went on, like, a mission that was to help save Golducott, like, that, as, like, <laughs> A theory, like, or as like a thing that happened in this episode is just really funny because you know she despises him. So the fact that she had to like try to find him after he was kidnapped was really funny to me.
2: I'm excited to talk about the scenes with Gold Ducat in this yes. episode because I don't know there was a lot with him in this episode. I really enjoyed it.
0: Do we, um? I think we already kind of went over this last bit
1: the the politics stuff
0: yeah now. i think we can get so to so the... the
1: inciting incident for the yes. episode yeah so the inciting incident for kind of the story and a lot of our our drama is there's a carassi freighter at ds9 the buck nor yeah at the buck the buck nor and it it explodes so there's like an investigation <laughs> about that and or implodes who... the way you <laughs>
2: talked to said oh. that just sounded so like it explodes <laughs> the the uh um. the argument on whether it exploded or imploded throughout <laughs>
0: the, yeah. the episode
1: funny. well and that's and that's the deciding incidents like who is responsible and it turns out through the like you know we can talk a little bit more of like the machinations and stuff, but it was in fact the the Maki themselves because they felt that this freighter was running weapons into the demilitarized Tri Zone, which is no go, no go, no bueno.
0: And they used Federation technology to do it, um, mm-hmm. which I think is important because that that kind of put Cisco and on the trail of okay, maybe it wasn't the Cardassians because he was very certain that that technology would not have been shared with anyone.
2: I just thought that it was very funny, the argument between O'Brien and Dax about what actually happened. And I love that they're like, but could you tell us more O'Brien? And he was like, I need time. I just, like, I'm not, like, it was very Scotty-like. It was like, I'm not a miracle worker. Like, I need. I'm giving I, it all she I, I can't just look at this and know what happened. Like, I gotta do my right. CSI shit. Like
0: Exactly. I thought of CSI or Bones or something where he was like, I need to see it enhanced and then. They, like, enhance in some impossible way that, like, couldn't actually really happen. Although I feel like in Star Trek, it might be able to happen. But
2: I love how he just keeps going, like, it's hard to know. It's hard to know. And then Dax, like, swoops in at the last minute. It's like, I figured it out. Like, it just, it felt very, like... I don't know. About it just seven felt... lifetimes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it was just very funny to me. I don't know why it was so funny that O'Brien was working so hard for Dax to just like. And then, like later in the episode, he comes to Cisco and he's like, "I figured it out," and Cisco already knows the information, <laughs> like because he was at the trial of the or the the argument between the Maquis and the right. Cardassians. Like he's like, "It was an explosion device, wasn't it?" It was set by a Federation person, and O'Brien's like looking at his like
1: his like readout and he's just
2: like yes (laughs) poor O'Brien I felt for him in this episode everyone was stepping on Uh, his moment
0: I know I loved it I love O'Brien so Calvin Hudson who is an old friend of Cisco and Dax is sent by the Federation well I mean I don't know that he was actually sent by the Federation to look into what's going on because I don't trust anything that this guy has said yeah
1: he's like his like retirement gig, or his like Federation liaison to the colonies that they gave to yeah. the Cardassians. Like I don't quite understand what his job is, but yeah, I think he's
0: it. just supposed to. I I um, on Memory Alpha they called him like the attaché, so he's like just like the yeah. per, he's like probably the person you go to if like somebody stole your well water or something. Like just <laughs> uh you know the Cardassian over there stole my well water, and he goes and talks to the Cardassians and figures it out um so it was interesting because he knew dax and or curzon dax and cisco and you really get a sense in this episode that he was very close with both of them
2: yeah there's it's such a weird exchange with dax when he like is on the bridge and of course he doesn't like recognize her at first. And then like, it's like it's Dax and he's like, Oh, you know, and they have like, but it's like such a weird reaction. And then like when they go, when he and Cisco go into Cisco's office and he's just like the things that I like that, that man knows about me. My wife doesn't even know I'm going to choose to believe that this is like one of those, just like awkward, like you've known this person for a long time and like, you're really good friends with them and you're not expecting them to suddenly be in a new body rather than it being a trans yeah. thing, but it does come right. across like it's a gendered, like...
0: It, yeah, I, I, I read it similarly, but I also think, like, that was not the intention. And it's interesting, because it's, like, the Trill, as we've, like, learned in the past year, like, the Trill are not going to go back and, like, go... T- like, Jazzy is under no obligation to go, like, talk to all of Curzon's friends and be like, hey, I'm a girl now. Like, there there's never, like, that... Yeah. So he probably just didn't know.
2: Yeah, but he treats her like like it's really obvious from he's his so relationship. Yeah, he's very uncomfortable and I think it's partially because like he and Curzon and Cisco have this like male bonding thing, and they talk about right. like like male bonding a lot. And to suddenly be like, oh, but she knows all the things. Like
0: women are right. supposed to know like yeah about all of my male it, stuff. Yeah. And, like- his, and yeah. his first reaction when they're in private is to ask Cisco if they're banging, and that really grossed me out. And they, like, start laughing
2: like like that was, like, a ridiculous thing, Yeah, like, just because your
0: friend's a woman doesn't mean you're fucking her now. Like, it just is weird. And it felt very, um, bro-ish, which I didn't like. Well,
1: yeah. And, like, Star Trek, I think, really likes to do that up to this point. Like, it has this, like, really weird sense of, like, what male friend, like, what cis male friendship is supposed to be um a couple years ago for there's a really good star trek podcast if listeners haven't listened to us it's well worth checking out uh, the women at Warp podcast and they have a blog they have a blog on their their website as well which i contributed to a couple years ago now i think it was 2019 and i did like a, a personal reflection on the season 16g episode of of tapestry which is like both one of my like favorite episodes of TNG and one that like grinds my gears a lot, and like this era of Star Trek definitely has this like really kind of bro-ish sort of sense of what male friendship is supposed to be, and I think specifically like with this scene too. Like I am aware that like '90s Star Trek kind of accidentally backed into the trill being a really strong trans metaphor definitely wasn't something they were intending i think it's one of the things that like holds up the most about like a lot of the deep space nine stuff um with them being a, a joint species etc cetera, etc cetera. but when the trill first introduced it was this whole big reveal with Riker and odin and everything else that they were joined so like i guess in from a certain point of view um this could Wrong be a series. new thing to cal that he wasn't What right? (laughs) Um, that he's like new to him and like whatever, but like I still don't think that's a good enough excuse. Um and like it comes across like a little like gender critical and like it's just not not great, and it's like especially frustrating for me as we go through and rewatch it because Elise and I just covered Blood Oath last week, which was another uh, Dax episode with our our original series Klingons. And Tessie might remember this is great meme of Kor where he meets Jadzia for the first time. He goes, "Oh, Jadzia, my old friend!" After like she corrects him and says, "I'm not Curzon anymore." Blah 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 blah, and course a trans ally in that moment and then a week later to see cal be like oh i don't know what pronouns to use for you know yeah this is weird and uncomfortable for me he gave her is like, like the kind of grating
0: he gave her like the yeah. worst look too and yeah like he he did that like in the moment i just didn't know if i trusted his like oh we need to catch up because it sounded genuine but after that look it felt and then to go back into so the next thing he says is are you fucking her i mean in different language but
2: right well and i it also just feels weird because like she was one of the bros and now she's not right which just it feels like like such a like you know it it feels like something it feels like something that someone would do when they get weird about one of their friends being trans right Right. like oh well like she can't hang out with the dudes anymore you know and if
0: we know anything about is that she can definitely be one of the bros she can like, definitely sure. be one of the
2: bros 100 percent, and look good while doing it yes
0: after the gross are you fucking her let's laugh about it scene i did enjoy where ben and calvin's conversation went next they were discussing their late wives jennifer and gretchen and it's very clear that they are old friends that have shared a lot of intimacy over the years and at that point it almost to me felt weird that Dax is not in the room with them because yeah, I got the impression it was a very like three musketeers kind of relationship and that's when he was like he also had said oh yeah that she knows way more about me than any other woman and it's just like bring her in the room like she hasn't changed I mean <laughs> she has changed in that jadzia's personality is now added to the dex in but like all the other stuff is still there
2: this just really felt like the the old like greek women can't know men only men can know other men (laughs) like type of like you know women can't possibly understand us that that's what this really reminded me of
0: yeah
1: (gasps) calvin's that like sis dude at pride who like is exclusionary because he's like yeah anyways yeah, we'll just it we'll feels just misogynist and
2: trans misogynist like it's it's both yeah yeah he doesn't belong at pride <laughs> he really doesn't yeah. i feel kind of bad for his wife to be fair like it kind of sounded like like i don't know the way he said it too it was like i don't know like were, were you like entertaining hookers in the back like what what is it that she knows about you like what
0: dirt does she have on you that your wife wouldn't know about but maybe it was yeah because it definitely was like while he was married because he his wife had passed after he and Ben hadn't seen each other yeah yeah
2: but I do I I do really find the scene where he's they're talking about Jennifer and and jake you know like oh jake's like growing up like that was all very touching
0: it really was so
2: besides the weirdness about dax they did a pretty good job of establishing that these were two characters who knew each other and who cared about each other and had who had been through experiences together which isn't always easy i think when you introduce a new character that's supposed to have history so i I i was convinced
0: it's funny one of the one of the um the only other time where, like, a new character really has, like, hit me that you'd never see again is in, um, Battle- as in, um, hard home in, um, Game of Thrones. That one woman, Wildling, that, like, I forget her name, but, like, she, like, is one of the ones that Jon Snow, like, convinces that they need, like, to join forces, and then she dies in the episode, and, like, not since that scene had I, like, felt, like, a new character, like- Drawing emotion out of me, and yeah, this really worked for me. So, our buddy Gul Ducat shows up in um in Cisco's quarters, which uh, I thought was kind of funny.
2: Oh <laughs> my it god, used to be his
0: quarters. Gul Ducat,
2: I have such a I'm I know you guys have talked about him on this show before. I have such a like love hate relationship with this character because he. Is a Cardassian. He did oversee an occupation of a colonized territory, and that colonization was brutal by all accounts. And he is kind of fascist in some ways. And a terrible person and lies a lot. But he is so hot. And I can't explain it. <laughs> I can't explain how hot Gold Decott is. And like I don't understand why, like, he is just such a compelling character despite being like a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> I
0: think don't understand he's just, it. He's so cocky. And like that's not something I would go for in real life, I feel like. I don't know. I don't know that I find him hot, but I love him as a character. I do not love him as a person. Oh, no. But I love him as a character because he's so... I find him so interesting. You kind of never know, like, he genuinely came here to, like... I Like, he really wanted to figure it out and knew that Cisco was not involved. And I appreciate that he was, like, he's being honest in this episode.
2: I really enjoyed his back and forth with Cisco in this episode, like the push and pull of just like Cisco does not trust him, has figured out the hard way not to trust him. And you can Mm -hmm. tell because he immediately is like, has Kira confirm where Jake is because Golducott mentions Jake at one point and Golducott's like, seriously yeah. i wouldn't hurt jake and he's like you better tell me where my kid is so like yeah like i i love all that i love the scene in the shuttle where like he knows how to fire the photon torpedoes despite never having been in the shuttle before yes like so the funny. interactions between he them are great spies. yeah he has great spies so i i think honestly it's uh mark alemo's voice I think that's what it is. I think he has a good voice, and that's why, like, I find voice. him very attractive. But yeah, he's just like—I don't know—he he just like he seems like he knows everything. He seems like he's always like in control of the situation, it's even like when one he, step ahead. Yeah. yeah, even when he's not in control of the situation, which we see mm-hmm, yeah. at some point during this episode. Like, um, but yeah, like, and, and I love how like when they come back uh, from the initial meeting with the Maquis. Sisko's like, all right. How much of that did you already know? <laughs> and He was
1: like,
0: <laughs> I knew about half and of he it. He knew a lot of it yeah. already. Like he knew that 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 like the saboteur was there. He did not know that he, the guy was supposedly um, de- uh, died by suicide. And yeah, no that. but he's such a terrible person that he's like, I
2: would never kill someone by torturing them. You got to <laughs> keep those people alive, like so you can use them later. Like he's a but terrible also, person. Like,
0: I'm sure that someone that he instructed to be tortured died. Like, come yeah. on. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I forgot that he had seven kids. Like, is this the first episode where he mentions? I think so. Because Cisco is like, I didn't even know you had kids. And I just like, I really want to know what the average number of like, kids a Cardassian family has. Because <laughs> seven kids. I is feel like
1: it's. I feel like it's large especially for like folks of Galdukat stature cuz I'm thinking back to I think it was earlier this season. Yeah, the early season the episode the one with uh Rugal, mm-hmm. right? Where this whole plot one of the one of the last times That was that guy's only Ducat. kid, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah it was. It was cuz his wife had died. Mm-hmm. Um I mean, the idea of like what Cardassian the twenty six year old
0: like... biter that was pretending to be eight years old.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's him. <laughs> that's that episode. Yep. <laughs> but like the idea of like Cardassian like family values and what that looks <laughs> like. Kind of, like it, it seems kind of like very like this is the traditional family. We don't believe in birth control. Like you know, like large families are kind of the. The norm in the Cardassian kind of like sort of structure there, and um, there's a a Twitter account such a Twitter account that I that I follow that I quite like. It's at at this is me whatevs or Deep Space Fine yeah, on Twitter, and they too. had a poll. They had a poll recently about DS Nine and like who on Deep Space Nine more closely represented the United States, and the answers were of the Federation or the Cardassians, and I have been thinking about that Twitter poll, like, ever since. And I think, like, a certain a certain spectrum of whether it's Canada or the United States, um, definitely probably their idealized version of, you know, government and things like that would be something more like Cardassia, and so, like, it's, it's morning in America on Cardassia Prime.
0: I feel so. like it's like we're the Car- they're we're the Cardassians, but we think we're Deep Space Nine. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and like the like- Federation
2: is like what we want to be, and the in Cardassia is what we actually are. <laughs>
0: <laughs> right, that's exactly for for I mean. liberals,
2: I should say. I guess Matt is right. There are probably a lot of people who would straight up say that they want to be more like Cardassia, which is but terrifying. I also think
0: like when it's funny because like. You say for liberals and I agree because I think that I personally wouldn't want to be either thing.
2: Right. Yeah. Truly. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. You know what? I think I figured it out. I think it's a Hannibal situation. I think it's
0: like I haven't mm, seen that still.
2: He he like has this weird chemistry with Cisco and I think that's what's doing it for me. Like because they like distrust each other, but he like has this like real grudging like admiration for ducat but like ducat i think is a little obsessed with cisco like i could see it
1: well (laughs) (laughs) it's i remember like trying to assign star signs to the deep space nine cast and like a group chat a couple years ago and like we came down to it where cisco is a july leo and ducat is an august leo
2: and Mm. the ways
1: they manifest there so
2: um, I mean, it so could be. say about As an August that? Leo,
1: I'm allowed to say that.
2: Wait, <laughs> I mean, like, but he even says, like, he's like, I know you. Like, I know you would never do this. Like, it, I mean, he shows up in his quarters. It's hard not to feel like there's some, like, tension there. It's funny. Yeah.
0: I feel like the I know you is correct in some senses, but wrong in other senses. Because they have that whole discussion in the shuttle about, or the runabout about. Education versus joy, and Ducat goes and says that education is power and joy is a weakness. And he kind of expects Sisko to agree with him, and because based on things he's seen, and I think it's a really interesting difference between the philosophies of, I guess, Cardassians and humans, or it's supposed to be. And Cisco's like, Yeah, I'm that way around you like you make me that way or you like bring I'm it out that way me. around you yeah. <laughs> yeah and I think it's true because Cisco is like whenever Ducat's around it's things are going south they're not going smoothly so of course he's going to be a, he's not going to show joy in those moments
2: right but I almost kind of wonder it's hard for me though to know if Dukat is saying that like like if he's being sincere in what he's saying or if he's right. saying that because he's trying to tell Cisco that he thinks Cisco is kind of joyless, you know? Like I don't know. Like it's hard to tell exactly if no, he's like trying to get a rise out of him or no, not. You know? I think he
0: was trying to tell him he was joyless, but I also yeah. think he doesn't know Cisco. And like, I'll be honest, we haven't seen Cisco have that much joy yet either. Mm-hmm. But I just personally not having seen the whole show, we I know that Cisco is not joyless. is not
2: joyless. In fact, I think he he probably is a little bit more um, joyful than certain other captains that we've seen uh, yeah,
1: on this. I would agree with show. That. He knows how to have fun. The builder versus the explorer thing, exactly. right? Yeah, yep. That's the yeah.
2: But yeah, I I just think that that storyline is just
0: it's fun. It's fun. I really enjoy watching them bounce off each other
2: yeah and i do think that there is a real
1: <laughs> bounce off each other sorry tessa go ahead oh i was just gonna say i feel Not like just danced
2: yeah yeah it's very important audience. as we say on monkey off my backlog podcasting is a visual medium so yeah, we have we to talk about that as well <laughs> we we have to describe what's yeah. happening yeah I just I think that this interesting. I like the spy. I always am gonna like spy versus spy and what where mm-hmm. and Cisco and Ducat don't necessarily fall exactly into those categories, but they're close enough that we get a little bit of that happening in this episode, especially when they're both trying to figure out what's going on, yeah
1: well, and like the whole like political like machinations of this episode like reminded me a little bit of like a Jack Ryan movie, right? Mm-hmm. Like the decotton and so specifically, like in Clear and Present Danger where the like Willem Dafoe, Harrison Ford, um, John Clark, Jack Ryan stuff where it's all like we're kind of getting along but kinda of not and they end up like teaming together in the end. And like it's not like an exactly like one for one comparison, but it's the idea where like Willem Defoe's is leading this kind of like you know shadow war that Jack doesn't know about and knows more. he's like oh check out this coffee house and like yeah no it just kind of like the um, cloak and dagger stuff. I th- I think very it's- Tom Clancy to me. I
0: think it's like a theme in those books and movies a lot actually because like I I'm most familiar don't make fun of me with the sum of all fears which we all know is like not one of the best Jack Ryan movies. But, like, um, Ben Affleck's Jack Ryan has to kind of convince someone on the Russian side that, like, the U.S. and Russia are not fighting against each other. And that it's, like, this other group that is trying to make everyone fight. So the motivations are not the same. In this, there's another group fighting, and they're not trying to pretend that everybody else is fighting. But, like, the fact that, like, it's a third group, not the two main powers that you think are fighting right so, but them the whole fears similar
2: question though is is how much Dukat knows how much is he actually going with ben to find new information or how much or, show. or well yeah. yeah or is it to go with ben in order to find proof of what he wants to be happening right because if the maquis right. are making trouble in this zone the Cardassians have like they, that gives them another reason to exert more control over this area. So that is, I think always going to be the question with Dukat is like, how much does he actually know? How much is he pretending not to know things in order to gather more data or more Intel? So that's yeah. a big part of this, I think. But of course he gets captured <laughs> yeah, very, e- very easily. <laughs> I might add, like, just like, not not even an inconvenience for the maki.
0: <laughs> I was, yeah. I will, get, we get to that in a little bit, but I was really surprised with how easily that, that went down. Uh, so, we have another character that we meet in this episode a Vulcan woman named Sakona, and she ends up.
1: Oh, it, Sakona.
0: <laughs> we love her. Um, She is involved with the the saboteur. She's like helping him hide on on the station. She's gotten quarters for him until he can he can leave. And there's a couple that like overhears them talking and that's who kidnaps him and brings him to the monkey. Um yeah, so Sakona comes and like also wants to buy weapons from quark and they have some really fun interactions i you want to start on that love this thread
2: i was not expecting to because i i did not remember it i mean why would i remember this this random thread from the b storyline of of an episode of television i haven't seen in years but i loved it i thought it was great i will i do have to say though before we talk about it the actress who plays sakona is bertila damas who i i don't know very much about but for like half the episode i thought it was paget brewster because she looks and sounds (laughs) similar so much like paget
0: brewster i was like kind of disappointed to find out it wasn't her but it's I, funny because I similarly like I knew it wasn't Melinda Clark, but her voice was similar to Melinda Clark a little bit for me. So I was like yeah. wanting it to be Melinda Clark, but it was obviously it wasn't
1: it, who actually is in Star Trek on the Enterprise pilot. Yep.
2: Yeah. 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 It's that Vulcan haircut. It it obscures a lot of <laughs> a lot of features. It's very I think. Brewster.
0: <laughs> yeah, it is very
2: Padgett Brewster. But yeah, I I loved it because not just because like I think... I like I always like interspecies romances. I just think it's really interesting to like see two different, not just even two different cultures, but like two different, like even modes of being like try to find like some common ground or like experience attraction that, you know, perhaps is not conventional. But I also feel like with. Quark and the Ferengi, a lot of times, the attraction can come across as really gross because of the way that the Ferengi are often, like, equated with greed or, like, with lust, right? Like, there's some really creepy episodes with the Ferengi in Next Generation, especially – quark seems genuinely attracted to her and is like oh yeah like like wants to woo her like it's not like yeah it is like a business thing or whatever but like is like but he doesn't do it in a way that seems like he's tricking her at any point like he has to explain what he's doing to her because she's a vulcan and doesn't quite understand but like he's not like it doesn't sound like he's being deceptive. Like he's not just like tricking. Oh, it's a, it's a business dinner. Like, you know, like he's like, he is legit. Like, like, no, like we can do this at the same time. We can have like business and we can also like get to know each other and we can like, you know, have like these conversations. And I just, I really appreciated that. Like actually seeing Quark, like legitimately pursue someone in a way that's like respectful and yet extremely enthusiastic and like she likes it which is great
0: yeah she thought he was interesting yeah I would have really enjoyed going on that date um the food spread looked amazing <laughs> um the wine that they had with dinner was probably good obviously the 300 year old port that was at, so he tried to give her at the beginning he did not like that I was obsessed with her dress mm. obsessed the, the like, bodice was, like, that paisley, like, embossed look. And it was just, it was gorgeous. And just, Quirk's lines were so funny. We can plan the business meeting to co- coincide when you might be hungry. And then later, <laughs> I, right after, he's like, how does eight sound to your tummy? Yeah,
2: <laughs> um, I loved it. And I love that he didn't try weird. to, like sound more Vulcan for her like like right. like he t- was, yeah yeah he took the time to explain things to her that she didn't understand but he didn't try to like change his personality for her either
0: which and I appreciated. she was really impressed with him and the rules of acquisition he thought that she thought it was reassuring that they had rules of acquisition <laughs> yeah well Vulcans understand I rules, know right she, yeah. so yeah that's true I don't uh, I just had like some thoughts about that um, <laughs> <laughs> just, um more on that later um i think I've, there were times where i wasn't sure if she realized he was hitting on her also but then at the end i kind of came around because she basically said like maybe next time
2: yeah i also really thought it was funny like the when they're at the dinner and rom is like trying to like be a waiter and like pour their drinks and everything and he's just like all elbows getting in their way i just i don't know why i found that so funny like a bit of like physical physical comedy for rom but (laughs) (laughs) no noted aries according to matt (laughs) (laughs) of course rom has his own really great romance in this series so yeah you know ds9 uh vindicating Ferengi romances since nineteen ninety. <laughs> I
1: don't well, know. That was like yeah, That was like one of Armin's like big things of like being one of like the first Ferengis on screen and kind of being part of their like reclamation and expanding that culture and things like that. Like that's something that like Armin Shipperman who plays court kind of like, you know, if you read quotes or or whatever, something he takes very seriously and I think takes a lot of like rightfully so, kind of takes some like pride in and like the Ferengis being, I think, the closest to twentieth-century humans that we see on on Star Trek as well, and kind of the performative masculinity inherent in that a lot of times is is good stuff. Um, and like
0: we've talked about this also before, where like how we think Quark you know for culture talks about liking women that are submissive, and like Quark doesn't really fit that mold. He th- he, like claims that he does, but he really doesn't. Because, well, you know, he has a thing for Jadzia, and he has a thing for oh. other women that are very strong. And this Vulcan woman is the same. She's seems like she knows what she wants, um, and he he's attracted to that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's also kind of one of those things, though, where like you're gonna say that. To your bros, but then like you have your own like actual attractions, and yeah. I feel like that's what's happening with Quark. I I really yeah. honestly think there's a reason Quark doesn't live on the home planet of Ferengi, and I actually think it's mm-hmm. because he actually enjoys a lot of other cultures besides his own, including the cultures of people that he sleeps with.
0: Hmm.
2: Although that's I have great. to admit that like knowing that. The Ferengi like ears and like ridges are in a zone. It really bothers me whenever Quark touches his ears, like just out in
0: public in conversation. Like he'll
2: be, he was having a yeah. conversation with Sarcona, and then she left, and he like his hand went up to his ear, and I was just like, ugh, that's weird. Like, like his, yeah, it's yeah. not like, like touching
1: your beard or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Like, he's like basically sticking his hand down his bars. pants. <laughs>
2: yeah, and I, yeah. I don't know if that's just like because it's inconsistent the way it's characterized and that's the way a human actor would
0: like react but like right? it bothers me thinking about that yeah (laughs) I think I just get like amusement out of it like it doesn't bother me yeah
1: Quark gets amusement out of it too I'm sure he does
0: I am sure he does I can't believe on this rewatch how much I'm realizing I love Quark like I s- apparently I don't even remember saying this, but like a couple weeks ago I basically said that he was like my number one problematic wood.
1: <laughs> problematic wood? Yeah, you definitely did say that <laughs> on the podcast. He is
0: much funnier. I, it, I edited it. He is much
2: funnier than I think I remembered him being. Of course I was much younger when I watched it the first time, but Right. Yeah. yeah. Armin Sherman is just he's always been great.
0: Oh yeah, Armin's the Tessa touched on this earlier, but I really was bothered by the Cisco and Kira conversation about the colonists, like, where she was saying um, her experience with the Cardassians. You know, I lived with them for 26 years, and I I think that one of the things and that, and we said this too with, like, we don't know if the colonists are indigenous to these planets or not, or how long they've lived there, but it's not easy to just pick up and move As much as it's not easy to pick up and move countries or cities, like, I can imagine it's even harder to pick up and move planets where you live. Right. And the fact that Ben just, like, wasn't seeing this and, like, was, I felt like he was, I felt like he was less understanding than I would have expected his character to be about it.
2: Yeah, he doesn't come across as particularly empathetic in this episode. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I have to agree with you there, because it does seem like he's just has this attitude of, well, this is the peace treaty, right? Like, it's the law, right? Because
0: the the law doesn't make it right right or fair. Like, we have to do this. And
2: so you all just have to move if you don't like it. Like, and yeah, like you said, like, that's like telling someone... I mean, there's been a lot of conversations, right, about this, right? Every time there's any kind of political upheaval in the United States, it's always like, well, why don't you just leave Texas then, or why don't you just move, yeah. you know, to a place yeah. to a blue state or whatever? And it's like that's a, like a profound misunderstanding of one the socioeconomics of moving, which moving is not cheap. And, like, two, like, why should they have to leave, like, in order to have human rights, you know?
0: (laughs) Yeah, it also, those examples also completely discount the fact that there's so much um, voter suppression. So Mm -hmm. it, like, basically implies that there are fewer people that feel a certain way than there actually are because some people are just not allowed to vote. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And
2: it also discounts the ways in which... Even in blue states, like there are still major problems with oppression and like with anti trans yeah. les- legislation, et cetera. So, like, yeah, I it is very, it is a deeply unempathetic thing to say, like, oh, you should just move. Um, and yeah. that, I do find that really yep. problematic. And I, I think Kira gets it dead on too. Like, I lived with them for 26 years and they have not changed, <laughs> they have not yeah. changed at all.
0: Now
1: we can talk about the Odo
0: stuff. <laughs> oh, let's
2: dump on Odo. He's the worst in this episode. Yeah. He really was. I was he just was... starting
1: to like him again. and I then know. He now goes he has to be a again. again.
2: But I like yeah. that Kira does not let him get away with it. Because, like, yeah. he basically says that after Dukat gets kidnapped, that if he ran the station the way that the Cardassians did that this wouldn't have happened and that he would have better security and what he's describing is basically a police state and i like that kira is basically like that only rich mm-hmm. that only works mm-hmm. for the people in charge like because she was like that only worked for the Cardassians, not the bajorans
0: and even if it works that doesn't make it right either like right. it works to like okay, yeah, there might be, like, more security, but, like, people are not, like, living freely. Right. And it was just really, like, complaining about having a rule book is, like, the opposite of that is, like, torturing people and people not being able to live how they want to. And he was just, and he
2: was describing, like, really problematic policies. Like, he was basically describing stop and frisk like yeah for sure yeah. and and
1: yeah yeah and martial
2: law and martial and like law that. yeah curfew like all of this stuff and so like i i really like that kira was like no it didn't work if you were a bajoran like this was not it didn't work if you were a bajoran sorry i dropped something and uh <laughs> you know, this is not going to work. And like, I, I don't know, like Kira. Like
1: Odo civil liberties? Yeah, exactly.
2: Sorry, got uh, <laughs> I, but I like that she is really drawing on her lived experience in this episode in a way that feels very powerful and it feels very earned for the character.
0: Yeah, and and also, I mean, 26 years is a long time. It's not like it was like a six-month blip Where the Cardassians did wrong and now they're better. Like twenty-six years is a long fucking time. And that is enough to know a group of people.
2: Right. And I it, it also reminded me too, I it wasn't the last time I was on, um, but the first time I was on this podcast, we were talking about Odo in the um the episode with Loxana. And he Mm -hmm. talked to her about how when he was found, he spent like most of his time in a lab, but then like he became like, he took on this role, right? On in Deep Space Nine as the security officer for the Cardassians. And it, this episode really reminded me that he doesn't like there is a big difference between him and the Bajorans, like that he was not really raised by the Bajorans or at least not in a society in which the Bajorans could impart like their culture or, or what was happening to them even to him. And so like, to me, this really struck me as like the big divide between Kira and Odo, this idea that like they're friends, but they don't, he does not understand her uh, or her experience in the way that I
0: think he thinks
2: that he does.
0: Yeah, because I, the Bajoran scientist that kind of took care of him or taught him how to do things before he came to Deep Space Nine, I don't think, like, I got the impression he was, like, shielded from a lot of that. hmm Like, he was not, it, he didn't experience it until he came to Deep Space Nine. Yeah, Odo, ignore, Odo, Odo kind of before. strikes me
2: as a person who understands how these things work in theory, but not how they work in reality. Um or at least in practice. And so that that's what this really emphasized to me is like, oh, he's not Bajoran. Like he does not understand like what happened yeah. on this planet.
0: So we find out after Gul Dukat is kidnapped and Julian Bashir and Cisco try to go find the, this group of people that they're called the Maquis, the Maquis. And as my friend AJ says, Hey, that's the name of the episode. <laughs> they said
2: the name of the movie. Leo pointing
0: meme. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Leo pointing meme. <laughs> that's what Sam always says. They said the name of the movie. But so they uh... land. They land on. I don't know. It kind of looked like a, almost like a, less foggy like Dagobah type of planet. <laughs> and oh no, Hudson's like in charge of this group. <laughs> Or, like, with the group, anyway. I don't know who's in charge.
2: I was not surprised by this twist. I didn't remember it, but I was not
0: surprised by it. Were either of you? I I remembered it. I remembered it, like, not before I started the episode, but, like, as soon as he showed up at the beginning, I remembered it. But it didn't ruin anything for me. It was still exciting to get there.
2: No, I I mean, it it was it is what it is. I mean, it was just kind of like, he's only been talking about how these people are right. The entire episode, like how can you be surprised that he's involved
1: with this group of people? (laughs)
2: Like, it just, it seemed like Cisco was
1: really shocked, but when you cast Bernie Casey, ninth overall selection of the 1961 NHL draft taken by the San Francisco 49ers as your guest star, they're probably gonna be someone of importance or the reveal in the episode. Yeah. Um so like I think we talked about this at the start of the season when you when they had Richard Baymar as Lena Alice, where it's like you're either gonna die tragically in the episode, or you're gonna be like Frank Langella and be the villain, uh, right? Like there's what if two Lynch. ways in the star of Star Trek when you're like oh, a totally. special appearance by credit, right? So Yeah.
2: Yeah, it was really Im- Not surprising to me, but it's the end of the episode, so we don't really know more about his motivations besides the fact that he thinks this group of people is in the right.
0: Right. I'm very much looking forward to watching part two. So I just, I looked this up because I remembered
2: reading about it and then I like completely forgot to put it in the notes, but the Maquis are named after a French resistance group during World War II. So I guess that does feed into your theory, Mm -hmm. Matt, about it being kind of, Kind of put into like a rebellion resistance mold in some ways.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Which is like really interesting when you put it in that perspective, because it's like they're rebelling against the Federation and who are- anyways, yeah, it's it's that thing where like I don't know how like super interested Star Trek is in like interrogating a lot of this, but like it's interesting to dig into. Yeah. For sure. For sure yep twist well that's that's kind of i guess we'll we'll put a pin in it until next week when we see what happens in in part two so i don't know about you folks but uh i'm feeling i'm feeling kind of parched i don't know i'm like thirsty today i don't know elise are you thirsty i'm always thirsty (laughs) that's true You, you really are so who are you thirsting for this week elise
0: um I think maybe, like all of us, <laughs> Sarcana, <laughs> Sarcona and Quirk. Um, I said earlier, I am like also semi-obsessed with her voice. But I just loved at the end of their interactions, she was just like, I do find you intriguing, Quark. I think we kind of went into most of what we thought about them in the episode, but just her excitement over... The rules of acquisition made me think that they are going to have a love contract <laughs> and like <laughs> a rules of like what they can, you know, they're going to do in the bedroom. And that, well, I think I have not decided which one of them would Dumb the other though, because I feel like it could go either I way. Mean, I, feel like, like, I feel
2: like Quark wants her to, to top him. I mean, like, let's yeah. be honest. Quark's looking for a top. Yeah. That's
1: Quark's thing. Quark's looking for a top.
0: No, I, I know that, but I I'm still seeing that it could be both. Like, I feel like occasionally they'll they'll switch. I also Yeah,
1: it's like a Heron Kanan situation.
0: <laughs>
2: I also feel like the moment where she's like i'm looking for weapons and he's like you're a gun runner and she's like yeah (laughs) and he's like you're not like other vulcans it was like such a moment where he was like so attracted to her in that moment where he was like you're not like other vulcans and he was already attracted to her it was like you know know. even more i love I love that he had
0: to tell her to, like, lower her voice during dinner. <laughs> <laughs> she just starts, like, loudly well, listing all the things that she wants, and he's like,
1: <laughs> like, lower your voice. Well, and that just adds such an interesting, like, Sarcona being a Vulcan and being a member of the Maquis just adds this, like, really interesting element into... The moral implications of the maquis and their cause and everything else is like because generally speaking like falcons are pacifists mm-hmm. right so the point where like she feels like her logical and moral obligation is to take up an armed struggle is uh it's super interesting um and yeah, what's what's also interesting is that the suggestion of director David Livingston, and this is from the Deep Space Nine's companion, um, costume designer Robert Blackman originally designed a much more revealing outfit for Sakona to be seen in this episode. However, when Rick Berman saw this more revealing outfit, he told Blackman to tone it down somewhat, because of sarcona being a vulcan and blackman still likes the outfit that sarcona wears however as it you know apparent shows off the actress which is Bartella damas's figure um and is much sexier still than what you would see a normal a vulcan traditionally wear and again that's from the deep space nine companion and um wait a second as deep, much deep as space. we hate rick berman on this podcast wait a
0: you're telling me that Rick Berman made a somewhat decent decision. <laughs> I don't know if I can yeah. believe it. I feel like this is like Vulcan. I, I, do,
1: I don't want to hand it to him, but it seems like a good call. I, I like
2: that this so is like are you saying Tessa. I like that this is a much sexier look than ever seen on a Vulcan in Deep Space Nine. Maybe are we forgetting the Ponfire episode of the original series oh, in which like the Vulcans are wearing some pretty sexy outfits, both the men that is and very the true.
1: women.
0: <laughs> i would agree but but i but the, like the, floor, I,
1: the paisley embroidery work oh, is like, oh, was like i'm
0: looking
1: at a gorgeous. picture of sarkona's costume now it's so i
0: pretty. would wear that dress and shoulder pads and all and i just it was gorgeous like i don't know the whole thing the I whole thing it.
2: worked the haircut the dress all of it like she looked yeah, good the haircut was perfection she had that like there was perfect cool confidence of a vulcan going but she was still interested in quark like i got it and quark works so hard on this date like he's
0: invested
2: i you know what yeah. that's sexy it is sexy
0: if i like showed up and and someone had like just a like a table food of like a table full of like food for me, I would just be so thrilled. And he
2: wanted to dance
0: too. He was like, "Let's dance all <laughs> I night." Know. Yeah, that's I really attractive. Him. Yeah, I miss dancing. Same, so much.
1: And Tessa, what's your your nominee for the most Star Trek thing of the episode?
2: Okay, so the most Star Trek thing. This one was a little difficult, but. I actually knew immediately what it was, and I was like, wait, is there something else that should go for this? But it's descriptions (laughs) of things happening in space without actually seeing them on screen. So this happened all the time in the original series because of budget stuff and because of technology, right? Because they didn't have all the special effects stuff that even... Deep Space Nine had access to in the 90s where they would just be like oh look there are two ships approaching one of them is firing at the other and you wouldn't see any of this right it would all just yeah. be a character talking <laughs> for it. and describing it this happens in this episode when Gold Dukat and Cisco are in the shuttle they describe an entire space battle that happens between yeah. the Maquis and a Cardassian ship and even threaten to join it in the shuttle themselves we don't see any of it. There's no on screen. There's no like in- nothing. It's just Ducat and Cisco describing what's happening to us <laughs> from their monitor. That
0: to me is the most Star Trek thing of this episode.
1: Elise, what about you?
0: Um, for me, it's the episode making me want to see something that is referenced that happened in the past. Yes. Like, Someone please show me Cisco wearing lederhosen. Yeah, I need to see it, please. Like I would have. I lo- mean, you he got those ha-
1: short shorts in the pilot, no. <laughs> and he's still-
0: for he still
1: did that. <laughs> not satiate you? <laughs> he
0: still has the hat, so I feel like he should be trying that on.
2: We should definitely see him in the hat, bits.
1: but the hat. like
2: in the next Nothing episode. The that would be a good way of like bringing it back. Like have him wear the hat <laughs> in the next episode.
1: Oh my god, I would love that. Matt,
0: did you have anything
1: for that? Um, no, no. I was just against probably the thing that I like, came across. My mind was the same as like Tessa's, where you're seeing a whole space battle with the like logos on the screen, and it reminded me of like early ten vote Game of Thrones for the second time on this podcast. <laughs> um, it reminded me of early seasons of Game of Thrones where they didn't have the like big budget, so like you didn't see the big battle scene. And Tyrion just got knocked out and woke up after the battle. It, right. it had that sort of vibes to it so
0: and we oh, can not see... i'm so excited
1: to do this again Nick. i know Sorry, go ahead.
0: i was gonna say and you also didn't see like um robert baratheon get like attacked by the boar like all that stuff yeah exactly
1: exactly well this has been a blast tessa thank you so much i yes. can't wait to do this again in like seven i was gonna say we should do it again, <laughs> again. soon gonna happen. <laughs>
2: yeah <laughs> like How about, how's your week? how's your next week looking it looks great <laughs> i've got nothing going on
1: <laughs> fabulous
2: uh
1: well until next time tessa where can folks find more of you on the internet
2: so you can find me on twitter and Letterboxd at suela tessa suela Swayla is spelled s-w-e-h-l-a you can find me i have two other podcasts one of them is Monkey off my backlog, which is a pop culture productivity podcast where we, me and my co-hosts, cross things off of our lists every week. You can find us on Twitter at monkey backlog or wherever you listen to podcasts. I also have another podcast called Nanny Ogg's Book Club, which is a podcast where me and my co-host are reading through all forty-one of Terry Pratchett's Discworld novels. You can find that on Twitter at Nanny's Book Club and on Instagram at Nanny Ogg's Book Club.
1: Elise, and, what about you? All right. Um,
0: you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd at Elise underscore Tendi E L Y S E underscore T E N D I and you Matt?
1: Yeah, Twitter and Letterboxd as well at, at Hugh, Mattyhugh, M A T T Y H U G H. You can also catch me talking about Madmen on my Madmen podcast, Still Great Bob. You can catch Elise and I together on Twitter and Instagram at PodRace. And you can also email us at PodRace at gmail.com.
0: Please rate and review us on the podcasting system of your choice. And thank you again to DJ Empirical for our interstellar theme song.
1: And until next time, computer and program.
0: Bye.